You are tuned in to the Jackson Hole Connection, sharing fascinating stories of people connected to Jackson Hole. I am truly grateful for each of you for tuning in today. And support for this podcast comes from Teton County Solid Waste and Recycling, bringing the Jackson Hole community residential and commercial food waste composting options. Call 307-733-7678 for more information. The Jackson Hole Wine Club, making the experience of exploring new wines as easy as taking a sip. Visit jacksonholewineclub.com to sign up today. I enjoy reading and learning from others, which guides me to share a quote with you before we begin this episode. Today's quote is, true heroism is remarkably sober, very undramatic. It is not the urge to surpass others at whatever cost, but the urge to serve others at whatever cost. And that comes from the famous author, Ash. And today on episode number 201, I interview Brad Boner, the director of visuals for Jackson Hole News and Guide. Brad's an extraordinary photographer, a published author, father, and in the early stages of being a rancher. Brad has some deep roots here in the Western United States. And today he's gonna share an interesting family history and how he and his brother are working to keep a part of their family history right here in the West alive. Brad additionally loves the outdoors and back in 2017, embarked on an absolutely remarkable project, which is connected to the Yellowstone National Park in the early days, well, before it was a park. Now raising a family in the area, Brad has the opportunity to continue sharing his appreciation for the outdoors with his kids, and he continues to share our community from his view while taking pictures. Brad, thank you for joining me here today at the Jackson Hole Connection. Wonderful to be able to have some time and sit down and hear more of your story. Sure. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. I do enjoy starting the episodes with you, the guest, sharing with people where were you born and raised, and then also how did you land here in, in Jackson? Uh, wow, that's a... That's yeah. You want the long story right off the bat, don't you? So I was I was born in uh, Rapid City, South Dakota, right by the Black Hills, and uh, that's where I grew up. Spent time between Rapid City and my grandparents' ranch down in Custer, South Dakota, and uh, yeah, that's where I grew up. Graduated from high school there, and then went to school uh, in Moorhead, uh, Minnesota, for about two years in the communications department there. And then I transferred down to Northern Arizona University uh, in Flagstaff, Arizona. Mm-hmm. Spent uh, two and a half years down there. Uh, the The extra half of, of the extra half year was to catch up on some of the mistakes I made in the first half year of college. So I don't, I don't think that's necessarily uncommon, but after I graduated from college, I did a few internships, did a few photojournalism internships and I, I had a job in middle of Michigan for about a year, and then I bounced around the country doing some internships. I interned in uh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, Nashville, Tennessee, and in Anchorage, Alaska. And then after those internships, 
I uh, landed a job at uh, Gillette News Records in Gillette, Wyoming. And that was kind of appealing. I wanted to be a little bit closer to home. Uh, at the time, I wanted to be closer to my family. And so I spent about a year there. And then uh, at the Wyoming Press Association's winter convention, I believe it was the winter of 2004, uh, I met the editors of the News and Guide down there and just kind of, you know, we were sitting in the bar and I was just kind of off the cuff said, hey, if you guys ever have an opening in uh, Jackson, let me know. And uh, maybe about a month later, a month or two later, they gave me a call and said they had an opening for a photographer. And so that's when I moved over here. Incidentally, I met my future wife at that same Wyoming Press Association convention. And she was working in Pinedale and she eventually moved up to, uh, moved up here. We both moved over to Teton Valley mm -hmm. in about 2005, the summer before we got married. And so, uh, we've been in Teton Valley ever since I've been driving the pass every day to work since, uh, 2005, just, uh, you know, along half of Jackson's workforce. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a good number of folks that drive the pass every day. For sure. It's like 10 or 11,000 of us, I think. That's what I've heard. Yeah. Well, what was it like growing up in South Dakota? I I haven't met many people or even you might be the only person I've spoken to that's from South Dakota. What was that like? Uh, Western South Dakota. It's right. Uh, Rapid City, South Dakota, where I grew up. It was right by the Black Hills. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I would call it, you know, it's, it's a lot like, it's a lot like this area, except I say it's a lot smaller. You know, there's, you know, the Black Hills are, it's, it's, it's one of the most beautiful places I think in the West. And, uh, you know, I think they definitely hold a candle to Tetons and it's, it's still home to me. My brother and I, uh, still own our family ranch down in Custer. And, you know, we try to go back there. I try to go back at least two, two or three times a year and, and taking my kids back there. But, uh, you know, I, I grew up doing a lot of the things that I do here, you know, spending time outside, hiking, biking fishing, climbing, you know, my dad was really into the outdoors. He was a hunter and a hunter and fisherman. And, you know, I kind of grew up doing those things that, uh, that I do now, you know, when I look at my life now, it's kind of a mirror of my, my childhood really. So, uh, it, it was a great, it was a great place to, to be a kid and to, and to grow up and, you know, rapid city was at the time, probably only about. 45 or 50,000. It's, it's grown since then, but you know, not a, not a big city, but not a, a small town like, uh, like Victor, where I live now. Mm -hmm. I'm very curious to learn more about the family ranch. You said that you grew up going there because your grandfather had that ranch. Did he start it or did somebody earlier in the family start the ranch? Yeah. So what type of ranch was it as well? So uh, another, another, you've asked another one question. So the, uh, the ranch that my brother and I own is 12, it's called the 12 mile ranch. And it gets that name because it's 12 miles uh, from Custer. And it was founded by my great, great grandfather, Joe Umfris. And it actually started as a stage stop for the Cheyenne to Deadwood stagecoach line. And the travelers between Cheyenne and Deadwood would jump on the stagecoach and they could probably only make about 
boat uh, 15 to maybe 20 miles a day before they needed to stop and rest the horses. And all along the stagecoach routes were these little stops along the way, these stage stops. And, uh, and so a lot of people who were traveling up to the gold mines and the gold fields up in Deadwood would stop at 12 mile ranch for the night. So each of these stage stops would have a place to sleep. They would often serve meals and uh, they would have a team of fresh horses for the stagecoach. So they would swap out the, the horses they had used that day. And the next day they would have a fresh team of horses to continue the journey between uh, to or from Deadwood from Cheyenne. And what distance is it from Deadwood to Cheyenne back then on Oh, gosh, put me on the spot. I want to say it was about 230 miles. And they traveled how many miles a day? Probably about 15 to 20. Wow. That's, that's a long so, time. You know, that, yeah, sometimes that, uh, that, that journey could take up to a week. And so the ranch, you know, has just some really interesting history to it. Way back in the early days, uh, uh, Teddy Roosevelt stayed there. Uh, before he was president, he stayed at the ranch while he was traveling. Uh, the gunfighter, Johnny Owens, had stayed down there. So there's, yeah, there's a lot of, uh, you know, really interesting, really interesting history. There's sort of, sort of like a family, a family story that Jesse James once stayed at the ranch in the, in its earliest days. That would have been in the early, early 1880s. And uh, after the stagecoach line was disbanded, I think that was in the late, 1880s. Uh, it became a cattle ranch for many, many years. Uh, they raised horses and cattle on the ranch. And then in the 1930s, the family expanded the ranch into like a guest ranch. So it was actually like a working dude ranch. Mm. And people from all over the country would come out, stay at 12 mile ranch and, you know, just to get a taste for, you know, the Western ranching lifestyle, they were expected to kind of pitch in on the daily chores and everything. And and there was a, a group of college students from, uh, it, was a, it was a woman's college called Smith, Co Smith College. Uh, in the 1930s, they were geology students. They would come every summer and stay at the ranch for about three or four weeks and study geology in the Black Hills. And then after that, it you know, kind of continued the tradition of being a cattle ranch. And that's kind of what we still do with it today. We lease it out for cattle grazing. And is it still operated dude ranch too? Uh, no, it's not. It's not, it hasn't been a guest ranch for many years, but it's one of those things that my brother and I, my brother and I just recently inherited it probably about five years ago after my mother passed away. Hmm. And we would like to build some guest cabins on it and kind of make it, uh, eventually make it a, you know, a guest ranch again. And uh, my brother and I are the fifth generation to own the ranch and I believe that it's the oldest ranch in the Black Hills that's still in the same family of its founders. Wow. That's, that's something to put on the website. It's, it's pretty cool. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things that just kind of, you know, through uh, no effort of my own fell onto my lap. And, you know, I, uh, I have a tremendous respect and appreciation for family history and family traditions. And, you know, my brother and I want to keep it in our family and, uh, eventually handed over to our kids. That's beautiful. Good for you and your brother. Family history is always so important to be able to pass on. And Right. And it's great. And you were saying earlier that you still take your boys, your kids there. So they get to learn so much of their family history and, and be connected to that. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I find that really important. You know, I have a lot of memories, you know, growing up and, you know, we spent a lot of weekends 
out there. And so, you know, being not as close as I was growing up, I want to get my kids out there as much as possible mm-hmm. uh, to try and, you know, establish their appreciation for it as well. Cool. And let's jump forward to where you are now. You started with the news and guide you said in the winter of 2004. Is that right? Yeah, it was, a, it was actually the spring of 2004 in May. Okay. Uh, May was actually 18 years for me. It's paper. Ooh, congratulations. Yeah. And I see your name all over the place. Well, I'm, paper. Yeah. My joke with that is that I'm always glad that somebody's looking. <laughs> <laughs> Not just for my name, but I'm always glad that someone's looking at the paper. And, and tell people why you're glad that people are looking at the paper. Well, I want people to be engaged in their community and uh, what's happening in their community. And, you know, not just the news that we cover, but in the, in the features that we do and, you know, a lot of the fun things that people are doing, the sports, the recreation, uh, you know, just the slice of life that, that, that happens in this community. I think we, we have a very, obviously we have a very active and engaged community. And so I think our readership is very in, engaged and interested in what's happening in their community. And so they enthusiastically seek out information for, you know, to, to find out what's, what's happening in, in, in Jackson. And, and uh, for that reason, they come to us. And so we're very lucky to have a really engaged readership. And I think that that, that pushes us to do our best work because I think the community has high expectations for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, share with folks what your contribution is to the to the paper, what you're talking about. Well, I'm the director of visuals and, you know, my position has evolved over the years. I came here as a photographer. There wasn't really a head of the department. And as we've grown and as things have, you know, evolved over the years, we've, you know, developed department heads and uh, a leadership structure. And so... I was the chief photographer for many years. And then, you know, as we kind of expanded our online presence and kind of dipped our uh, toe into video, I um, kind of adopted this title of director of visuals. So that kind of encompasses, you know, everything that has to do with, you know, what you see in the paper, what you see online. And so that's kind of my role now. It's, it's, it's kind of funny, like, what you know the 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 fancier titles they give you the the further away from what you actually got into it for you like you you get and i would say that you know when i first when i first got here you know 75% of my work was you know being out and taking pictures and now it's probably more you know in the i'd say 35 to 50% is actually out taking pictures and the rest of the time is you know in, in uh, meetings and putting out fires and you know, that kind of stuff, but you know, it all comes to the territory and as you know, my role has evolved, it's given some of the other photographers, you know, it, some of the administrative work that I do, I try to shoulder that and give the, the photographers the space to uh, just do their best work photographically and just focus on, on the photography. It's kind of funny. A lot of people are like, you know, they, they, they see some of the pictures, some of the cooler pictures that I've taken. Just like, wow, you can really get out you can really get out, do some really cool things. And I'm like, you know, there's that meme of what people think your job is. And then it's like what your actual job is. And, you know, I think a lot of people think my job is, you know, dangling off the side of a cliff or, you know, something like that. Or, But my actual job is, you know, a, a thousand mouse clicks a day. So did your uh, job used to be dangling off the side of a cliff? You know, it still is. 
you know, the, the there's there's give and take with that because we're with the you know with the administrative part is that I I, I will admit that I can take the assignments that I want, uh-huh. and you know if I really want to do an assignment, then then you know I kind of get first dibs at it. That's not to say that I take all the good stuff, all of the you know the I, the I think I think there's plenty of good stuff to go around, mm-hmm. but there are you know topical things that really interest me. And, you know, issues that really interest me that, that I, that I really try and make an effort to. What are those? And I, I, and I don't know where this comes from. I don't, I don't know where, or why I kind of latched onto this, but I really, really enjoy Veterans Day and Memorial Day. Mm-hmm. And I really like the reverence behind it and the, how, how seriously the veterans and the service members uh, how seriously they they take it, and so I really try to make an effort to go to those ceremonies on the town square every Memorial Day and every Veterans Day. If I could go around to some of the cemeteries with them, I try to do that. And and I think stemming off of I really, you know, after after so many years of doing that, I really understood the importance of the sacrifice of the McCollum family after Riley McCollum was killed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he had, he was killed with those 12 other service members while evacuating American allies and uh, civilians from the airport in uh, Afghanistan. And even though he was gone, his family still lived here. And the way our community responded to that, just, it really impacted me. And I, I wanted to not just tell the story of, not just of Riley McCollum, but of how the community really responded to his death and really embraced this family and, and really turned out to support this family. It's quite moving. So it, it really was, it was really moving in a lot of respects, you know, both from a personal level and, on a, you know, I was, I was really proud of this community for how they, for how they responded to that. We closed the liquor store and, and marketplace so everybody could go and be a part of the procession through town right and there were a few employees who spoke so much appreciation that we did that and because they had connections to veterans as well in their family and i said to them you don't have to thank me it's the family to thank because they're the ones that made the sacrifice what we're going to do is to support and show respect to the family and to riley yeah. And for me, you know, from the newspaper standpoint, from, or, you know, early on, I was, you know, we had gone 20 years without having anybody killed in that war. Mm-hmm. We almost made it. Right. And that was, you know, one of the most tragic things, I think. But so, so early on, I kind of told myself that there wasn't going to be any amount of ink or space in the paper that would be too much for Riley's family because. You know, anything that we did in the paper would, you know, just be peanuts compared to the sacrifice that they made. And, and so, you know, I, I set out all I, all I really wanted to do was to, to tell this story with as much dignity and respect as I could. I, I appreciate your, your approach to giving that acknowledgement to, to Riley and to his family. Yeah. And again, you know, it's like you said, it's a small gesture to, to shut down for an hour, but 
I think, I think those, you know, every little thing is just part of that community response mm. and it's, it's not too much to ask. <laughs> oh. So not, not at all. Yeah. We all need to take pause in life. Right. Give people some acknowledgement at times. Brad, I do need to take a quick break to get a word sure. from our sponsor. And then we're going to come back and talk a little bit more about your photography. Teton County Solid Waste and Recycling estimates that approximately 3,954 tons of food waste are disposed in the trash right here in Teton County every year. This makes food waste the next frontier material in the quest to achieve our county's goal to reduce waste and recycle more, which will help us aim for zero waste. For more information on Teton County Integrated Solid Waste and Recycling's Curb to Compost Commercial Food Waste Program, visit tetoncountywy.gov recycle and join today. Brad, welcome back. We just had a pretty serious conversation about your photography and showing respect, I mean, about with with Riley and how what you do could give the family the recognition that they certainly deserve. I've also seen your name around in the world of photography of there's some historic pictures and then your name next to more of a current picture of the same landscape. And I'm, I think I've seen them in the doctor's office at the hospital and, and I'm curious to know more about that project and how did the project come about and yeah. Yeah. So that, that project is a, it's actually a part of a book that I did that came out in 2016, early 2017. And, uh, the book was called Yellowstone national park through the lens of time. And what I did with that project was I re-photographed all the pictures from the 1871 Hayden survey through Yellowstone. And that was the first uh, government-funded expedition to the region that would have would become Yellowstone National Park in, of course, 1872, 150 years ago uh, this year. And, you know, when I was growing up in South Dakota, uh, there was a photographer out there. His name was Paul Horstead. And he had re-photographed pictures from... I think it was the 1874 uh, Custer expedition through the Black Hills. Hmm. And that was the expedition that discovered gold in the Black Hills in uh, the summer of 1874, I believe, and um, led to the Black Hills gold rush. And I was really intrigued by how those pictures, comparing those pictures side by side, you know, seeing the similarities, the differences in those, in those photographs and, you know, growing up, you know, our proximity to Yellowstone, I had always kind of heard of William Henry Jackson. And, you know, by the time I got here, I had learned a little bit more about his involvement in this early expedition to these early expeditions to Yellowstone. And I wondered if anyone had kind of done the same thing. And I did a little bit of research and there was a, I think there was a, uh, geological survey photographer who had re-photographed maybe a dozen or 15 of them uh, in the 90s. But 
you know, I hadn't, I hadn't come across anyone who had, who had, uh, re-photographed all of them. In fact, I, I never came across any singular volume that had all of his pictures all in one place. So doing all the research and gathering all the photographs was quite a bit of research in and of itself. And then after that, I spent probably about three summers going up to Yellowstone and, and re-photographing uh, these scenes. And there was one summer in particular, I think it was the summer of 2013, I believe, where I, I took six weeks off of work from my job at the paper and basically lived in Yellowstone for about five or six weeks. I'm living out of the, living out of my Volkswagen, my 1978 Volkswagen van, hmm. just driving around the park and finding some of these places. And, um, you know, some of these places were, you know, really close to the road. A lot of them are pop popular overlooks today, you know, like a lot of places around the Canyon area, but there's, there were some other places that were really, really remote. And, and those were the really cool ones to go find because, you know, it took me to parts of the park that I never thought that I would go to, or I never would have had a reason to go to. There's a place called Mirror Lake. that's up on the Mirror Plateau and the Mirror Plateau is basically the watershed divide between the Lamar River, excuse me, the Lamar River and the Yellowstone River. And Mirror Lake sits on top of that at about 9,900 feet and there's no trails that go to it. And, you know, me and, uh, excuse me, my wife, one of our friends and I, you know, we, we hiked in, it was, I want to say it was, it was about five or six miles up the Lamar river. And then we had to ford the Lamar River. Yeah, had to cross the Lamar River, and then we had to climb. The, and then the off trail stuff started. And it was about four miles of off trail travel. We had to ascend about two thousand feet up onto the Mirror Plateau, up this hillside that had been burned in the in the eighty eight fires, and then hiking through basically a flat forest just to get to this one little lake on the top of the Mirror Plateau where Jackson took three or four pictures. And so that was really interesting because that was, that involved about probably about five or six miles of off trail travel, like through basically just walking through a forest and using, you know, it was back before I really started getting into GPS. So I was really using like topographic maps and, you know, reading contours and stuff to figure out where we were. And then uh, also during that summer, I spent 11 days on Yellowstone Lake, paddling around Yellowstone Lake in a canoe with a friend of mine. And I think there was about, oh, maybe a dozen photographs that Jackson took around, around Yellowstone Lake, mostly on the Southeast side, East Southeast side of the lake, a couple over on the West side, probably like around flat mountain arm. Uh, so, so yeah, you know, took that opportunity to see some really cool parts of the park. And, and, uh, it was really interesting to see how things that a lot of things had changed, but it was also really cool to see how some things never had, had, not, had not changed at all. And, and the really neat thing was that, I mean, there were instances where there were like individual rocks, like the size of a bowling ball that you could see in Jackson's photograph from 1871. They're still sitting in the same spot mm -hmm. and, and hadn't moved in almost 150 years. And then there were other, there were other places where there were, you know, entire rock spires like around tower you know the tower waterfall the tower fall that had crumbled down were just like completely obliterated and non-existent 
Yeah. Hmm. There were also places around the lake where, you know, big giant boulders, you know, the size of like, you know, a refrigerator or a Volkswagen had kind of toppled over. You could still see them, but they had kind of toppled over. And I can only imagine that maybe earthquakes had um, contributed to some of that, probably just the general freeze-thaw cycle of, of the, you know, the winter extremes in Yellowstone. You, you, you get a lot of snow. When you, get, when you get a lot of snow, all that snow moves. Mm-hmm. And I, I think people don't fully grasp how much force that has like to actually move boulders down a hill. And then there were places where a fire had come through and the forest was completely gone. There were places where that obviously hadn't had fire in many, many years and probably several decades where the forest completely obstructed the view that Jackson had in 1871. So it was a really fascinating project. I'm really glad I did it. And um, it really, I wanted to see how this sort of national park experiment worked how it worked out. And, you know, you look at these photos side by side and, you know, you, you have to think that it worked out pretty good because, you know, I, I, I go to some of these places today and I look at, I look at places like Canyon and Yellowstone Lake, and it's, it's really easy to think of uh, a four seasons of the Yellowstone on the rim of the Grand Canyon or a bunch of uh, lake cottages along the shores of Yellowstone Lake. And we've taken Yellowstone and we kind of put it in a box so that people like me can see the same thing that Jackson did. And the idea is that like my kids and my grandkids will see the same thing I did mm-hmm. and kind of what it's all about. Right. It, it certainly, certainly. And I I'm just blown away at the work that went into it and thinking about the challenges that you had reaching some of those places. What was it like for Jackson? I mean, they were mapping it, weren't they? Yeah, they were. Yeah, they had a topographer with with them. It, it, and and you're right. Thinking of that, you know, I had it, p- people ask me, they were like, "Well, are you going to do it in color, black and white?" And I said, "Well, of course I'm going to do it." If Jackson had the option to go to a place like Yellowstone and shoot in color, black and white, you know, like of course he would have shot in color if he could. Yeah. You, you don't you don't look at you know Grand Prismatic Spring or you don't look at the Grand Canyon of the Yellowstone and, and think like this would look a lot better in, in black and white. <laughs> especially when you're trying to convince people that it's real, yeah, you know, and that, and that kind of, you know, it, it kind of speaks to the the contribution that Thomas Moran did because, you know, Jackson and Th- Thomas Moran worked very closely together where Jackson would photograph these scenes. And a lot of times the scenes that Jackson photographed were ones that Moran spe- specifically wanted to paint later on. And so, you know, Jackson would photograph these scenes and then, uh, Moran would make these watercolor paintings kind of based off of those photographs. And he was able, obviously, to capture a lot of the colors that Jackson, you know, just wasn't able to do. But also, you know, Jackson's whole photographic outfit was he had a, he rode his own horse and then they, they had a, you know, string of pack horses. And, you know, he, his whole outfit, he had to carry all these plates. He had to carry all the chemicals because he had to uh, develop everything on the spot. How many pictures so- did he have, Brad? Uh, so I only did the, he had two cameras. He had a eight by 10 glass plate camera. And then he had what's called stereo view camera, which creates that you might've seen the stereo view cards creates this kind of side by side. Uh, it creates two images side by side. Mm-hmm. And then when you take that card, it's the card is about, you know, five by seven ish 
and you put it in what's called a stereo viewer and you hold it up and you look through mm. this set of lenses and it it basically makes the image it makes one image when you look through it kind of looks three-dimensional it looks 3d mm -hmm. uh, for the time it was kind of neat you know kind of a neat concept but so we had those two cameras and i only did the eight by ten and so i think there was like 110 or 112 uh, images total that were published in, in the catalog that he created. And so, yeah, you know, thinking of that, you know, I, I have this 35 millimeter digital camera that fits in my backpack, hmm. whip it out and take pictures. I, I could take a thousand pictures on it. You know, Jackson had his process down to where if he saw something he wanted to take a picture of, he could unpack all of his stuff, set up his little dark room, set up his camera prepare a plate, take it to the camera, expose it. And then he had to develop it on the spot and then wash it, dry it, pack everything back up. He said, he said that whole process, he got down to about a half an hour. So, and what a remarkable but, number of plates that he had to take. Yeah. The, yeah. The materials and gosh, the, the chemical, like you said, the chemicals, whoa, what a commitment. I mean, you, yeah, you know, you talk and then. You know, this guy's like climbing mountains and, you know, going to these crazy, crazy places and with no trails. And I mean, yeah, you're right. It's a, it's a pretty, pretty insane commitment. I see what you did as a pretty insane commitment, but beautiful commitment. I haven't seen your book. I'm, I'm going to need to look that up. Unfortunately, it's out of print. I'd like to find someone else who would print it, but it's around. It's at the library. You can find it at the library. Okay. Congrats. And that, uh, the pictures that you saw at... The hospital were actually a show or an exhibit that was at the National Museum of Wildlife Art in 2016. And that was part of programming for the 100th anniversary of the National Park Service. And, um, and after that, the, the hospital asked if they could put it in one of their hallways. Mm -hmm. and, and I was like, sure. And so they had it in one of their, uh, their hallways. And I think it was there for about six months. And then they called me and they were like, you know, we've had patients. It, it's, it, they said that they were noticing that patients would go out in the hallway, like give them something to do while they were just in the hospital. And they would just look at these pictures, you know, you know, look at the, the side-by-side -side comparison. And, and so, so the hospital ended up buying the exhibit. They, had, they ended up buying the whole exhibit. And now I think it's in the, I can't remember where it is. It's in the radiology or something like that, but it's kind of spread out in, in one of their departments. Uh, it's in some, it's in their lobby. It's in, you know, some of the exam rooms. And, you know, I like the idea that, you know, it gives people something to do while, when they go to the doctor, because we all know that going to the doctor is like, it's like flying. It's just, it's just a lot of waiting. You go to the lobby, check in, you wait, they, you know, then they finally come out and get you and you go to the exam room and they take your blood pressure and then they say, okay, the doctor will be in. Then you wait again, you know, and then you get some tests and then you got to wait for those. So there's a lot of waiting involved. And I like the idea that these pictures are, you know, actually giving people something stimulating to do while they're in the hospital for what is probably generally unpleasant experience. Yeah, it's, it is nice when going to the off doctor's office to be able to see those. And I'm, I'm so glad that you and I got the, the opportunity to talk because I didn't, even though it, it gives a description about it, about what you did, hearing you talk about it, I feel so much more connected to it, but it, I feel so much more moved about what you committed out of your life to 
retake those photos. So thank you for recapturing that because it is interesting to see how things change or how they stay the same in nature. Sure. Yeah. You know, like I say, I, I hope that it evokes that message of, you know, why the national park system, why national parks are so important because these are really cool places, but they don't really belong to us. You know, they're, they're, you know, they're always like, you know, the, the whole idea is that they're there for, they're not just there for us, but they're there for everybody in perpetuity. Right. So another 150 years from now, hopefully someone will do this project again. And ideally nothing or very little will change. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we hope. That's why it's there. Right. Like you said before. So your kids, your grandkids can go out and enjoy it. And they'll also be running the 12 mile ranch as well. Let's hope so. <laughs> That's right. So Brad, if people wanted to connect with you, what is a good way for them to reach out and reach out to you? I'd say the best way is just get in touch with me at the paper. They can, you know, I, I love story ideas. I love story tips and that could be anything, you know, it could, you know, any, any fun thing that, you know, anyone is doing that anyone thinks that might have broad community appeal, you know, give me a call. I think that you can either email me and that email address is photo, P-H-O-T-O at jhnewsandguide.com. And News and Guide is all spelled out. Uh, or give me a call at the office. Uh, my direct line is 732-7064. And if I'm not around, leave me a message. That's, that's wonderful. Well, Brad, I so appreciate your time to sh that you shared with, with all of us today. And the pictures you take, if, if people who are listening really haven't seen some of the pictures that you've taken, they can find those through the news and guide, I believe as well. Well, yeah, the best way I'll, you know, I'll plug the paper, you know, the best way to see my work and, and all the work that really that, you know, our, our other two photographers, you know, Catherine Zysig, she's our other staffer. And then Reed Madison's our current photo intern. They both have a great portfolio of images too, and they take great pictures that, you know, reflects this community. And, uh, you know, the best way to see that is to either pick up or subscribe to the, the newspaper. There you go. A subscription does it. Yeah, it does. It's the best way to support our work. And for people not to forget about what they see in the day, what's put in the daily as well, because there's some remarkable pictures all around. And at least living where we live is a good starting point that helps, you know, a good backdrop for, for you guys. And then, uh, there's always so much interesting stuff happening out here. Sure. Yeah. It's, I mean, people like pictures of the reasons they live here and, you know, a lot of that is like the nature and the wildlife, but they also like see what, you know, pictures of the things that, that they did over the weekend. And so sometimes that's, you know, anything from, you know, hiking in Tetons or mountain biking or being on the river and, uh, and anything like that. But, you know, we also, you know, we also cover the local news. We also cover the hard stuff. Those are, you know, there's a, a lot of difficult things to cover, but we considered our responsibility to be, to be an information conduit, uh, for the community and for our readers. Stupendous. Well, Brad, I'll let you get back to your day. Thank you for your time. Keep doing the great work that you do for, for our community and spreading the word of what's going on here and keeping us informed. I appreciate it. Sure thing. It's, um, it's an honor and I uh, really appreciate you having me on. You're welcome. Take care, Brad. Good to see you. To learn more about Brad and his work as a local photographer, visit thejacksonholeconnection.com episode number 201.
I truly appreciate everybody for joining me here today. I look forward to seeing you here back for the next episode of the Jackson Hole Connection.